everyone, and welcome to the second episode of God Save the Queers. I'm your host, Wes. Today I'm going to talk about Francis Thompson and the Memphis Riot of 1866. I hope everyone had a safe and fun New Year, and I'm excited to share this year with you, and hopefully we'll talk about some really cool stuff. So without further ado, there wasn't a lot about Francis Thompson just because, you know, this was in 1866. I did find some records of court hearings and testimonies that she gave about the riots, so I'm going to read those to you. Before we go into Francis specifically, I want to give you a little background about the Memphis riots and about the political and racial landscape in America in 1866. So truth be told, this episode's going to be a lot of reading, just because I actually found some really good resources from actual federal bureaus about the event and police reports about the night that the riots happened. I want to actually read those to you so you can get a feel for the kind of language and the kind of feelings that people from that time and authority figures from that time actually felt regarding racial tension in the United States. Um, Also, I wanted to get resources from several sites because I didn't just want to pick one and have it be some like skewed European tale about the event. I wanted to make sure I got resources from every side so that I could give you a more well-rounded picture of what actually happened. I first researched from blackpast.org. In America, slavery was officially abolished on December 6, 1865 by the ratification of the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution. It states that Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So, that sounds all good, right? Except, it doesn't grant everyone equal rights and it doesn't grant them full citizenship either. Also, this then led to a cycle of American lawmakers basically making it illegal to be black or a minority by making petty crimes really, really important. So then they would fall under the category of being duly convicted, and then they wouldn't get the same laws and the protections under the 13th Amendment. But that's like a whole other topic. But just know that even though the 13th Amendment looks really, really good for everybody, it still gave black people and minorities the short end of the stick. In 1865... Slavery was abolished. So fast forward to May 1st of 1866. This is when the Memphis riot or Memphis race riot started. It lasted for two days. So it began when a white police officer attempted to arrest a black ex-soldier. And it's estimated that 50 black people showed up to try and stop him from being arrested unjustly because he didn't really do anything. And then a shootout occurred It's unknown which side shot the first shot, but regardless, shots were fired. This resulted in an uprising of violence in the city, and a lot of the victims were black soldiers, but that quickly spread to other black people and other people in the community who were attacked in their homes, churches, schools, and many other buildings that were destroyed. White northerners who supported black freedom and supported the Union were also targeted. There was a U.S. Army commander named George Stone, and he actually ordered that all the black soldiers return to Fort Pickering so they could be safe in an attempt to stop the violence 
This just turned the focus of the violence from the black soldiers to black people, black citizens, who were just minding their own business. A large number of Memphis police officers and firemen openly participated in the looting and the rioting, and because of this, there wasn't a lot of law enforcement to protect people or stop violent crimes from being committed, and also a lot of the fires that were started didn't get put out because the firemen were busy partaking in the looting. The mayor of Memphis, John Park, refused to ask for federal assistance, so the fighting continued into the second day. And then on the afternoon of the third day, May 3rd, General Stoneman, the same guy who had ordered the troops to go to Fort Pickering, declared martial law and sent troops into the city to try and reestablish order. After the riots, there was an investigation by Congress, and it was controlled by radical Republicans. They wanted to use their handling of this situation to gain support of the 14th Amendment and help with their Reconstruction Acts. So the 14th Amendment granted legal citizenship and equal civil and legal rights to African Americans and slaves who had been emancipated after the Civil War. This legally included them under the phrase, all persons born or naturalized in the United States. The proposal was started directly after the race riots in 1866, but it wasn't passed in totality until 1868. So it's, it's amazing how long it takes to pass something that seems so straightforward. But um, looking at how long it takes things to get passed today, it kind of makes sense. So the 14th Amendment makes all ex-slave citizens, and this increased the number of Republican majorities in Congress for the 1866 elections. The report ended up being harmful because it pitted minorities against each other. There were European minorities and black minorities, and a lot of people didn't like Irish immigrants. So what they tried to do in this report, they said that the Irish Southerners were the main threat against black people, as opposed to the white population in general. It blamed the overly Irish police force of Memphis and the black-Irish conflict and competition for manual labor as the fuel that started the riot. Many people think that the actual cause of the conflict was that the white people were afraid of newly given authority and power to black soldiers. The the Memphis riot resulted in many casualties. 46 black people were killed, two whites died, one died by accident, and one died by a self-inflicted gunshot wound, which was also an accident. <laughs> in total, there were five rapes, 285 people were injured, buildings burned down because firemen neglected to save them, and no arrests were made. The Freedmen Bureau reported on the race riot of 1866. Now, I bet you're wondering, what the fuck is a Freedmen's Bureau, and why should I know about it? Well, I was too, so I googled it for y'all. Uh, the Freedmen's Bureau was active from 1865 to 1872. It was created during the Reconstruction. After the American Civil War, another name for it was the U.S. Bureau of Refugees, Freedmen, and Abandoned Lands, and it was established by Congress in 1865 to provide practical aid to 4 million newly freed African Americans during their transition from slavery to freedom. I want to read you the report, word for word, just like I said before, to give you a feel for the way that they use language to talk about these kinds of things. And I don't want to put my opinion in it because I want you to get a first-hand account of the riot. So, 
Report of an investigation of the cause, origin, and results of the late riots in the city of Memphis made by Colonel Charles F. Johnson, Inspector General, States Kentucky and Tennessee, and Major T.W. Gilbreth, ADC to Major General Howard, Commissioner Bureau, FR&A Lands. Before I read this, I want to let you know that I'm going to censor some of it because there are racial slurs in here that I do not want to repeat. I'll say redacted. The remote cause of the riot, as it appears to us, is a bitterness of feeling which has always existed between the low whites and blacks, both of whom have long advanced rival claims for superiority, both being as degraded as human beings can possibly be. In addition to this general feeling of hostility, there was an especial hatred among the city police for the colored soldiers, who were stationed here for a long time and had recently been discharged from the service of the U.S., which was most cordially reciprocated by the soldiers. This has frequently resulted in minor affrays not considered worthy of notice by the authorities. These causes combined produced a state of feeling between whites and blacks, which would require only the slightest provocation to bring about an open rupture. The immediate cause. On the evening of the 30th of April, 1866, several policemen, four, came down Causey Street and meeting a number of Negroes forced them off the sidewalk. In doing so, a Negro fell and a policeman stumbled over him. The police then drew their revolvers and attacked the Negroes, beating them with their pistols. Both parties then separated, deferring the settlement by mutual consent to some future time. On the following day, May 1st, during the afternoon, between the hours of 3 and 5, a crowd of colored men, principally discharged soldiers, many of whom were more or less intoxicated, were assembled on South Street in South Memphis. Three or four of these were very noisy and boisterous. Six policemen appeared on South Street. Two of them arrested two of the Negroes and conducted them from the ground. The others remained behind to keep back the crowd when the attempt was made by several Negroes to rescue their comrades. The police fell back when a promiscuous fight was indulged in by both parties. During this affray, one police officer was wounded in the finger. <laughs> okay. Another, Stevens, was shot by the accidental discharge of his pistol in his own hand and afterward died. About this time, the police fired upon unoffending Negroes, remote from the riotous quarter. Colored soldiers with whom the police first had trouble had returned in the meantime to Fort Pickering. The police was soon reinforced and commenced firing on the colored people, men, women, and children in that locality, killing and wounding several. Shortly after, the city recorder, John C. Crichton, arrived upon the ground, corner of Causey and Van Streets, and in a speech which received three hearty cheers from the crowd there assembled, counseled and urged the whites to arm and kill every Negro and drive the last one from the city. Then, during this night, the Negroes were hunted down by police, firemen, and other white citizens, shot, assaulted, robbed, and in many instances their houses searched under the pretense of hunting for concealed arms, plundered, and then set on fire, during which no resistance so far as we can learn was offered by the Negroes. A white man by the name of Dunn, a fireman, was shot and killed by another white man through mistake. During the morning of the second, Wednesday, everything was perfectly quiet in the district of the disturbances of the previous day. A very few Negroes were in the streets, and none of them appeared with arms or in any way excited except through fear. About 11 o'clock a.m., a posse of police and citizens again appeared in South Memphis, 
and commenced an indiscriminate attack upon the Negroes. They were shot down without mercy. Women suffered alike with the men, and in several instances, little children were killed by these miscreants. During this day and night, with various intervals of quiet, the nuisance continued. The city seemed to be under the control of a lawless mob during this and two succeeding days, third and fourth. All crimes imaginable were committed, from simple larceny to rape and murder. Several women and children were shot in bed. One woman, Rachel Johnson, was shot and then thrown into the flames of a burning house and consumed. Another was forced twice through the flames and finally escaped. In some instances, houses were fired and armed men guarded them to prevent the escape of those inside. A number of men whose loyalty is undoubted, long residents of Memphis, who deprecated the riot during its progress, were denominated Yankees and abolitionists, and were informed in language more emphatic than gentlemanly, that their presence here was unnecessary. To particularize further as to individual acts of inhumanity would extend the report to too great a length, but attention is respectfully called for further instances to affidavits accompanying marked C, E, F, and G. The riot lasted until and including the 4th of May, but during all this time the disturbances were not continual as there were different times of greater or less length in each day, in which the city was perfectly quiet, attacks occurring generally after sunset each day. The rioters ceased their violence either of their own accord or from want of material to work on, the Negroes having hid themselves, many fleeing into the country. Conduct of the Civil Authorities The Honorary John Park, Mayor of Memphis, seemed to have lost entire control of his subordinates and either through lack of inclination and sympathy with the mob or on utter want of capacity, completely failed to suppress the riot and preserve the peace of the city. His friends offer in extenuation of his conduct that he was in a state of intoxication during a part or most of the time and was therefore unable to perform the high and responsible functions of his office. Since the riot, no official notice has been taken of the occurrence either by the mayor or the board of aldermen. Neither have the city courts taken cognizance of the numerous crimes committed. Although many of the perpetrators are known, no arrests have been made, nor is there now any indication of the part of the civil authorities that any are mediated by them. It appears the sheriff of this county, P.M. Minters, endeavored to oppose the mob on the evening of the 1st of May, but his good intentions were thwarted by a violent speech delivered by John C. Creighton, city recorder, who urged and directed the arming of the whites and the wholesale slaughter of blacks. The speech was delivered on the evening of the 1st of May, to a large crowd and citizens on the corner of Vance and Chauncey Streets, and to it can be attributed in a great measure the continuance of the disturbances. The following is the speech, as extracted from the affidavits herewith forwarded marked B, that every one of the citizens should get arms, organize, and go through the Negro districts, and that he was in favor of killing every goddamn redacted. We are not prepared now, but let us prepare and clean out every damn son of a bitch of a redacted out of town. Boys, I want you to go ahead and kill every damned one of the redacted race and burn up the cradle. The effect of such language delivered by a municipal office so high in authority to a promiscuous and excited assemblage can be easily perceived. From the time they seem to act as though vested with full authority to kill, burn, and plunder at will. The conduct of a great number of the city police, who are generally composed of the lowest class of whites selected without reference to their qualifications for the position, was brutal in the extreme. 
Instead of protecting the rights of persons and property as is their duty, they were chiefly concerned as murderers, incendiaries, and robbers. At times, they even protected the rest of the mob in their acts of violence. No public meeting has been held by the citizens, although three weeks have now elapsed since the riot, thus by their silence appearing to approve of the conduct of the mob. The only regrets that are expressed by the mass of the people are purely financial. There are, however, very many honorable exceptions, chiefly among men who have fought against the government in the late rebellion, who deprecate in strong terms both the civil authorities and the rioters. Action of Brigadier General Ben P. Runkle General Runkle was waited upon every hour in the day during the riot by colored men who begged of him protection for themselves and families, and he, an officer of the army detailed as agent of the Freeman's Bureau, was suffered the humiliation of acknowledging his utter inability to protect them in any respect. His personal appearance at the scenes of the riot had no effect on the mob, and he had no troops at his disposal. He was obliged to put his headquarters in a defensive state, and we believe it was only owing to the preparations made that they were not burned down. Threats had been openly made that the bureau office would be burned and the general driven from the town. He, with his officers and a small squad of soldiers and some loyal citizens who volunteered, were obliged to remain there during Thursday and Friday nights. The origin and results of the riot may be summed up briefly as follows. The remote cause was the feeling of bitterness which, as always existed between the two classes, the minor affrays which occurred daily, especially between the police and colored persons. The general tone of certain city papers which in articles that have appeared almost daily have counseled the low whites to open hostilities with the blacks. The immediate cause was the collision heretofore spoken of between a policeman and Negroes on the evening of the 30th of April, in which both parties may be equally culpable, followed on the evening of the 1st of May by another collision of a more serious nature and subsequently by an indiscriminate attack upon inoffensive colored men and women. Three Negro churches were burned, and also eight schoolhouses, five of which belonged to the United States government, and about 50 private dwellings owned, occupied, or inhabited by freedmen as homes, and in which they had all their personal property, scanty though it be, yet valuable to them, and in many instances containing the hard earnings of months of labor. Large sums of money were taken by police and others, the amounts varying five to five hundred dollars, the latter being quite frequent owing to the fact that many of the colored men had just been paid off and discharged from the army. No dwellings occupied by white men exclusively were destroyed and we have no evidence of any white men having been robbed. From the present disturbed conditions of the freedmen in the districts where the riot occurred, it is impossible to determine the exact number of Negroes killed and wounded. The number already ascertained as killed is about 30, and the number wounded about 50. Two white men were killed. The surgeon who attended Stevens gives it as his professional opinion that the wound which resulted in his death was caused by the accidental discharge of a pistol in his hands. Dunn was killed May 1st by a white man through mistake. Two others, both policemen, were wounded, one slightly in the finger, the other seriously. The losses sustained by the government and Negroes as per affidavits received up to date amount to the sum of $98,319.55. Subsequent investigations will in all probability increase the amount to $120,000. Signed, Chaz F. Jackson, Colonel and Inspector General of Kentucky and Tennessee.
So $120,000 in 1866 is equivalent to about $2 million today, which is a lot of money. But even more important than the money, there were countless lives, men, women, and children, who their livelihoods, their homes, their businesses, everything got destroyed. And according to the report, it seems like without any repercussion on the part of the police, law enforcement, and the mayor was... Did you hear that? The mayor was fucking intoxicated and couldn't do anything about his own town. So, you know, seems sketchy. The police were protecting the rioters. They were looting. Kind of seems a little bit familiar, if you ask me. But And with the increase in home invasions, and, you know, the riots caused a lot of people's homes to get broken into and burned down, there was also an increase in sexual assault and rape. And there were two women, actually, who were brave enough to testify against the rapist, and those two women were Lucy Smith and Frances Thompson. They were roommates in Memphis. And so Frances Thompson was actually a trans woman. She was an ex-enslaved person, and at the time of the riot, she was living in Memphis with her roommate, Lucy Smith. They were attacked by a mob of white terrorists because of questionable affiliation with Union soldiers. Um, The Union soldiers were saying that they were going in there for sex, but we all know now that it was rape, and it wasn't. they weren't going in there. It was not consensual relations, it was rape. So Frances testified in court about her experience, and it's actually recorded. It's recorded in writing, so I'm going to read the testimony. State your name and residence. My name is Frances Thompson. I live in Gayoso Street here in Memphis. What's your occupation? I sew and take in washing and ironing. Have you been a slave? Yes, sir. Where were you raised? I was raised in Maryland. All our people but mistress got killed by the rebel army. Have you been injured? I am a cripple. The witness used crutches. I have a cancer in my foot. Were you here during the late riots? Yes, sir. State what you saw of the rioting. Between one and two o'clock Tuesday night, seven men, two of whom were policemen, came to my house. I know they were policemen by their stars. They were all Irishmen. They said they must have supper and asked me what I had and said they must have some eggs and ham and biscuit. I made them some biscuit and some strong coffee and they all sat down and ate. A girl lives with me. Her name is Lucy Smith. She's about 16 years old. When they had eaten supper, they said they wanted some women to sleep with. I said we were not that sort of women and they must go. They said that didn't make a damn bit of difference. One of them then laid a hold of me and hit me in the face, and holding my throat choked me. Lucy tried to get out the window, when one of them knocked her down and choked her. They drew their pistols and said they would shoot us and fire the house if we did not let them have their way with us. All seven of the men violated us too. Four of them had to do with me, the rest with Lucy. Were you injured? I was sick for two weeks. I lay for three days with a hot burning fever. Did anyone attend you? I had a cold before, and Dr. Rambert attended me after this. Were you robbed? After they got through with us, they just robbed the house. They took the clothes out of my trunk and took $100 that I had in greenbacks belonging to me, and $200 that belonged to a colored woman that was left with me to keep safe for her. Did they take anything else? They took three silk dresses of mine and a right nice one of Lucy's. They put the things into two pillow slips and took them away. How long did these men stay? They were there, perhaps, for nearly four hours. It was getting day when they left. Did they say anything? 
They said they intended to burn up the last goddamn redacted. Do you know any of them? They were all Irishmen. There was not an American among them. Did anything else take place? There were some quilts about that we had been making. They asked us what they were made for. We told them we made them for the soldiers. They swore at us and said the soldiers would never have them on their beds, and they took them all away with the rest of the things. They said they would drive all the Yankees out of the town, and then there would only be some rebel redacted and redacted left. I thought all the time they would burn the house down, but they didn't. I'm actually recording this a couple weeks later. I had to move, and I got a new job, so a couple things kept me from releasing this podcast. But it's funny because I initially recorded this episode before the Capitol building was broken into, and I was going to compare the violence and the police brutality to other things that had happened um, with the Black Lives Matter protests and literally anything else going on in America. And I think there's really no better comparison to draw than what literally just happened in the Capitol building to these riots. I mean, they talk about the police not being able to help or helping out the rioters because they're either, they agree with what the rioters are fighting for or they're actually rioting themselves. And I think that was shown to have happened at least in several instances during the Capitol building riot. The report also mentions how when you have a person in power who is supporting this stuff and instigating this stuff, it gives the people who are rioting and the people who are murdering it makes them feel entitled to be doing what they're doing. And we can see clearly how that happened with Trump's Twitter and his support of their message kind of fueled the fire to let these people do this crazy thing. And it's really sad that 150 years later, we are still seeing the same exact thing happening. And we think we've come so far and we have made a lot of great strides, um, but there's definitely still work to do. And I want to talk a little bit about Francis Thompson's statement and testimony about the riots. It's actually really tragic because it was later discovered that she was a trans woman, and the people in the court kind of used this to throw away her testimony. And in doing that, they were able to throw away all of the other women who came forward and said they were raped because they said, oh, if, well, if this woman's testimony is no longer valid, Maybe the other people are just saying this so that they can, for political gain or to bolster some other motive that they have. So it really ended up not amounting to much as all the other allegations in this whole fucking thing didn't really amount to anything anyway. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it was because the police were on the side of the rioters and they didn't want to get in trouble because some of the rapists and murderers and rioters and looters were policemen, so clearly they're not going to want to prosecute themselves. And this is back in the day before there were, like, really good attorneys and public defenders, so you can imagine how even today we really still don't have that great representation for people. Imagine back in 1866 how that was. And I wanted to cover this topic because I feel like it's something I never learned in school, there's so many topics that I'm just now learning about that I feel like, why didn't we hear about this? Um, obviously, history is a huge expanse of time, but there are things that are still relevant today, that are still happening today that I feel like we should learn about and learn from and do better that we're not learning about. So I know some of these podcast episodes might be a little bit drier than others, 
I'm hoping to have guests soon. My friend Sarah's coming on in the next couple weeks to do a discussion about sexuality and gender identity. My friend Sam might come on and we might actually do an episode where we read stories to each other, which will be fun. So please look forward to that. Let me know if there's any other topics like this you want me to cover or things that you think are important that should be talked about. I would love to research them and cover them. Thank you so much for listening. Everyone stay safe and have a beautiful week.